Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas can change the world. As you all know, I try to touch on different people playing different roles in market ecosystems. Today, we're gonna to be in the risk resilient security industry. And it's a very important moment in time in this particular market sector. Given the geopolitical conditions of the world, given the climate conditions of the world, the economic disparity of the world, uh, we have a moment in time where quite frankly, practitioners helping CEOs navigate risk and opportunity can't find enough of the right people and cannot buy enough technology to actually undergird the risk. They really can't. They're, they're, they're doing triage. And it reminded me years ago um, when Mr. McDonald of McDonald Douglas fame, who had sent people to the moon, who had built fighter aircraft, who had built commercial aircraft, using the first ever mainframes, woke up one day and said, other CEOs don't have access to this technology ready because they can't find the right people or can't afford them, can't afford the computing power, can't manage it, maintain it. And the cost of ownership was outrageous. And he said, we happen to have developed all these applications for the entire business running on our compute power on our mainframes, on our data centers, secure data centers, and we can help you with the next best step in your business by really looking at your core business processes. And by the way, if you don't think security has core business processes, you haven't stopped long enough to examine it. And, uh, and a core business process is about people performing roles in a measurable process using whatever tools the company has given them to produce outcomes that matter to the business. So here we are, 21 years, I'm sorry, 41 years later. And, uh, and we still have an industry, risk resilient security industry, struggling with all the issues that Mr. McDonnell Douglas actually looked at way back then and still dealing with the fact that they're in the midst of navigating an old business model and moving to a new one. And it was something I was very uh, used to back in 1980. So I wanted to actually find somebody who's navigated old on-premise business models. Uh, on-premise meeting, you have the compute power on site and has navigated that throughout their career and can understand as well where the industry is going. And, and, and we can share some insights on maybe even coming up with new terminology to help that uh, bridge the gap in that understanding and that deployment. So I wanna welcome to the table somebody who I've known for quite a few years, and I wanna welcome Paul DePazzo. Paul, how are you? <laughs> I'm great, Ron, how are you? I, I am doing very great. Did I say that in an Italian accent? I was trying to, you know, really mimic an Italian accent. Yeah, you were you were uh, heading down that road of feeling like I was in Italy at that moment. So so di peso, but yeah. So you were, but I felt like I was there. Well, I I I I, uh, I got an offer you can't refuse, Paul, and that is to get. <laughs> 
to, to, to really talk about a subject, I got a feeling you have a lot of passion about. I do. I do. It's uh, I've spent most of my career in now the physical security industry, but there's no doubt um, it, it, we're here because there is a passion, the people that have been here for so long. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, at last count, help me out. You were with three or four different companies that were had different strategies and different tactics on access control over the years. Is that correct? Yeah, I have been. They were they were actually amazingly similarly uh, aligned and parallel. They may have just taken different roads to to get to the end process. And uh, and and that's why I want to leverage that because way back when I've only been in the industry for twenty years. I'm, I'm not sure how long you've been in the risk resilience security industry, but twenty something years. And when I first entered it. I was kind of scratching my head going, you keep telling me that you can't afford this and you keep implementing siloed solutions and you're not really examining your business processes to come up with the value to be able to articulate the value to the businesses. Are we still there or did you find that same thing 20 years ago? Yeah, I mean, it's so I now have just passed my 30 years in the physical security industry. And, you know, after growing up in it, we see the end user um, continue to say the very similar things that they said before. But those that have implemented uh, different strategies u- utilizing the, uh, the physical security side of things have always benefited from their direct uh, investment uh, of putting money you know, back into their security platforms and their security plans. And as it evolves, they obviously, there's this, there's this process of going to the next uh, platform or the next iteration um, to continue, you know, that, uh, to, to continue utilizing that resource and that, that service that they have. But as this continues to move forward from a technology standpoint, um, they want to take advantage of, of some of the newer capabilities that are out there. Well, that, you know, that, that's, um, that's true. Uh, otherwise we wouldn't have big trade shows. They're always interested in something new. What I'm kind of interested in though, is 20 years ago, we would have manufacturers walking around to their reseller integrators and then their reseller integrators walking into their customers and they were selling them a thing for a very specific action. So it was access control to ensure only good guys got in or it was video for monitoring, not real time back then, unless you had a big data wall and a bunch of security guards monitoring that wall. And a lot of it was based on forensics data and then you might install an intercom or two or intrusion, and, but they weren't integrated. The, I remember walking into one, um, one uh, of my clients at the time, a security uh, practitioner working within a company, and he showed, me, he showed me a desk full of monitors that represented every application he had purchased from these various vendors. And he said, I can't get it on one screen yet, because if I do, I compromise. Each one of these are best in class. And if I buy it from one single entity, 
I may not get best in class. And did you discover that 20, 30 years ago as well? Oh, absolutely. And so things were, were really, um, things were going into new, into facilities in, in these um, particular degrees or these segments, right? So you had, uh, whether it was video here, and then you had access here, and then you had intrusion, and then you had audio, and so on. And each one of those was a silo. Um, and then when they started to bring these things together, you saw it being done with essentially wiring, right? Um, IOs, inputs, outputs. Uh, and it wasn't really integrated. It was sort of this way of sort of meshing these together in a, in a you know, square peg in the round hole situation, uh, which honestly, I think led us to this, this era that I saw developing back in the early part of the 2000s uh, with PSIMs. You know, PSIM became, that was like the microcosm of everything. Well, we can do it all now under one roof. And I think that was sort of the first phase of where we are today. It was being done with hardware, not as much software, um, but it's even evolved even greater now. So the whole idea of what we see today that can happen in a, in a very small footprint from, yeah, there's still a little bit of hardware involved, which we're eventually gonna uh, somehow or another fade to the point that will be, it will be even much smaller now than ever or down the road. But um, utilizing spaces like the cloud to allow that software to use the compute power of what they're offering, um, that needed to evolve a little bit. And now that that's here and that capability's here, that has eliminated so much of that backbone that used to be a part of everything that we saw, whether it was at trade shows or physically in a, in a uh, sock environment, uh, those days are gone. So we don't need to have that. And utilizing the compute power of, of cloud-based environments allow us to now say we can we can advance the security, the, the software itself, the development, and, and build these uh, capabilities within the software. And now we're gonna drive it even into what can be done at the phone. What, was, what we're doing at the phone level now today couldn't even be done back in, in 95 or 2000 or 2005. So it's just amazing how fast it's, it's evolved over the years. That's right. Um... And I, I'm struck when you brought up PSIM. Um, the guy who first coined that, I believe, was Steve Hunt when he was still an analyst. And he was describing how, how in the heck, remember, uh, the way the industry has evolved. For those of you who can't go back 30, 40 years, is physical security is once defined as door locking hardware. And if you're lucky, a security guard. And if you bought door locking hardware, then, then it was part of a facility or architecture specification. So security was a line item in an architectural layout. And the uh, assumption was the lock on the door would last for 30 years. Hmm. And then we had the digital transformation that went on in the eighties. And in that digital transformation, we began to put devices on the network. Today, we would call that IoT, Internet of Things. But we began to do that. But the purchasing methodology the, uh, and the mentality of buying things was still there. 
And today, I think you would agree, we still have people buying electronic access control, video, intrusion, intelligent communications, as if it will last forever. And, and we all know that nothing lasts forever to start with, right? And things have to evolve. And, you know, so if I even look at my, my career path, um, and I had some wonderful experiences at the, the, the couple of uh, large uh, corporate environments that I've been a part of, I learned so much there. But one of the most exciting things when I decided to become a part of Phoenix uh, was was about the vision of where things really can go, but we have to be nimble. And because we were a startup uh, back in 2014, we had the ability to to move on a dime, um, and that was exciting. Because I again, not to uh, knock any of the larger entities, but it's tough for them to do that. Uh, t- and and. So for us being nimble by looking at the the path that we can take, the areas we can get into and taking a customer need that comes to us today and have something developed and implemented within sometimes 30 days, 50 days um, was really exciting. And again, when you talk about the passion of being in this physical security industry, um, to be able to see the benefits or how somebody ends up winning on the other side of how we actually met their need is is truly you know the part of what I get excited about, and that's where we can do this in this kind of environment that at least I'm in with, within today. I've had the uh, wonderful opportunity, very blessed, uh, to uh, be an adjunct professor in the MBA program where I taught leading innovation and change. And the best way to learn about something is be forced to teach it. <laughs> and uh, what was really interesting in in looking at the various CEOs who have guided their companies through innovation and change, who, who, who believe it or not, there's a great book on this, Paul, called uh, The White Space um, by a Harvard guru on leading innovation and change. But many of the great CEOs recognize that their culture just couldn't eat their own babies. They couldn't, they couldn't innovate out of their legacy systems. Uh, so many of the great CEOs would create a spinoff or would um, enclose a hit team that was separated from the PL function of the company and, and, the, and the culture of the company to be able to innovate outside the box, right? Outside of their current business model. So I want everyone in the community who's listening today is when Paul says startup, a startup could be intrapreneurial too, that is within a company, but many companies unfortunately don't have the foresight to do that. But yes, you began to discover, and I think your original founder even started this concept back in 2010 as an integrator, you began to discover over time that the pace of technology change was ramping up. It was hyper accelerating. So you had to be nimble. And you had to create rapid application development to take advantage of those new technologies. Is that correct? That's dead on, Ron. You know, uh, Sam Shallaby, who this was his his vision. Um, And while he wasn't physically building the product himself, he saw what the need was in the marketplace. 30 plus years as a security integrator, uh, very successful in Canada, uh, utilizing uh, some of the best products and solutions in the market at the time. Um, but he saw the gaps 
And he wanted to find a way to close those gaps based upon customer need and knowing that there were there were technologies out there that could solve these things. Um, and, and the problem, again, if I put my manufacturing hat on, what I always saw, and one of the things that Sam and I've talked about early on especially was uh, the, the inability, again, for, for larger companies or for a lot of companies to, to change and move quickly. And it's not their fault. It's because they had, there's so much, um, you know, there's so much time and involvement for getting a product from a concept down to out to a product that can actually be sold. And there's a life cycle and they have all these metrics built around these things. How much money can we get out of it? The margins go down after the course of time because we find a better way or a faster way to develop the cost of the, of the, uh, the actual infrastructure, the hardware goes down because we find suppliers that can, that can meet the demand at less cost. And all these things play into it. So they, they build up the margin uh, schema. So at the end, they're, they're doing their best before they eventually end of life it. And unfortunately, that doesn't benefit the end user. That benefits the corporation, but not the end user. So Sam's vision was, let's always be as far in front with technology and capabilities to meet the end user need. And if we've got to make a shift, we will. We will do that. And that's what's been so exciting about being here is that we've been able to do that. And as a, again, as a startup, as a true startup, only utilizing the financial resources we had internally without any kind of external capital, that wasn't, it's not easy to do, but we were finding people who, who were buying into that. And we found as, as things like cloud, again, became just readily adopted Everywhere, right? It, 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 like, uh, it, actually, in reverse of the way a lot of things are done, the adoption came first in the resident in the uh, consumer market, and then it eventually started to evolve in the corporate. Um, and then the corporate entities realized that I've got to find ways of reducing my carbon footprint. I've got to find ways of enhancing my IT staff, giving them the tools they need to do the job that they needed to do, which aligned with the security department and the and the, and the facility personnel. Um, and because of all those things, there wasn't there. There's no hardware out there that can that can move that quickly to meet those needs. So that's where we tapped into us being. Uh, and we are we do not manufacture anything. We do all of our 100 of our own software design and engineering internally. But again, the the, the point here is is not about Phoenix. It's about the way we're doing it, so that we can say, okay, let's find the best solutions out there to allow these to interoperate again, for, this, for the benefit of the end user. So uh, just so everyone knows, um, I hunted down Paul. Um, this is not a paid infomercial. Uh, uh, this is all um, done on the up and up. And what I'm trying to explore here for each of you running your security programs for your company is to get to the outcomes that matter. If people truly perform roles in your process and it's a measurable process using the tools you've given them uh, to the outcomes that matter, I'm gonna challenge each of you to say, have you ever thought what, what they, um, that your, your goal should be real-time, whether it's real-time situational awareness or real-time actionable response or real-time cyber defensibility, whatever it is, you should be getting as close to real time as possible. That's the optimized efficiency. So the question then becomes, um, do you need to change your business model for acquiring the technology, uh, the financial procurement model, 
the uh, maintenance and administration model, uh, the deployment model. Do you need to do that to get to real time? Is that the best route possible? And Paul, as we start to think of it, I've never framed that for you before this call, but um, would you agree that we're starting to see you, you may have started in 2010 to solve the access control problem, but really you're now building an intelligence security platform, a cloud-based enterprise security platform where maybe, maybe just maybe access control has become an app, not the main thing. Yeah, I think you stated that very, very well, Ron. And I and and reason because is that when we think about the amount of data that we have at our disposal, or potentially the amount of data we have at our disposal, um, data is king, as we all know. What does that data mean? How do we interpret it? What can we do with this information? Um, because what the, what we can now do is focus uh, focus on the real-time problems. And you stated it in the beginning where we're really in a, in a very difficult position in our global environment of things that are going on around us. Um, and, and they're very, uh, they go very deep. There's no doubt about it. And so we need to spend our time in areas um, that provide not just, we need to secure our facilities and secure the data, but how can we actually help people do their job better? Um, and it's, it goes beyond access control basically says, I can't get in or I can get in. And that's terrific. And there's a need for that. But what else can we do? Can, can I remotely administer? Can I remotely manage facilities, uh, pull information out that's going to be extremely important to multiple departments? And how is that, how is that information going to overlap? In the long run, is it going to help us be um, a better a better environment for new personnel? Is it going to actually help us produce more efficiently? Um, can we do things within uh, within this cloud environment that's going to increase our revenues? I'm talking about not us. I'm talking about the end users. Those are the questions that we get all the time. And one of the things as we open up conversations with IT departments is is that we I ask them straightforward. You're you're thin. You could always use more head headcount and uh, resources, and they, all, they say beyond a shadow of a doubt, they're absolutely running on fumes. And to add one more thing under their portfolio is just nearly impossible. So if this gets taken off their plate, um, if one more thing gets taken off their plate, then they become more efficient as well. Well, you just said something very important that um, kind of undergirds my research in the series of conversations I've been having. I was with a CISO the other day, and uh, he had recently been named CTO as well of a major hospital, by the way. So he's still working under, under the CIO, but he's, he's been tasked, this is fantastic. He's been tasked to lead digital transformation of that hospital. And he took on the physical security architecture. And the first question he had was, why aren't we using more cloud-based services and physical security like we already are doing in IT? And it was, it was a major market moment for me. It was an indicator that things are about to change, that digital transformation is going to force the change. It's gonna, we're going to look at these different procurement models. But more importantly behind that is something that I learned back in 1980. And that if you really want to talk to the CISO and the CIO, 
you have to know what the illities are. So if they are going to take on the task of administering an enterprise application, they want to know if it's mission critical because that defines the measurement for high availability, not you know the five nines, for scalability, for maintainability, for serviceability, and for cyber defenseability. So the illities are their domain if, if the enterprise application is mission critical. So Paul, one of the first questions I ask CSOs, physical security, is does your CEO and CIO believe physical security is mission critical? And guess what's happening with digital transformation? At the very platform of digital transformation is the notion that first, we have to make sure it's secure and safe. So Paul, I think the industry is gonna explode over the next five years and cloud-based enterprise security platforms are gonna be the way to go. I really do. And that's independent of Phoenix. So then Phoenix has to differentiate itself. So I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in that. How are you going to differentiate yourself with a plethora of consumer-based and corporate-based uh, uh, enterprise platforms coming out? How are you going to differentiate yourself? And that's a great. That's another great question because now that we're in year eight of of our um, life cycle of the business, is that we start to think, you know, what does that what does that strategic plan look like two to three, you know, three to five years out? Um, so there's a competitive landscape that we have to consider, but there's also a making sure that we stay at home. What have we done well? What have our customers liked at this point? Um, and what's made us a market differentiator up until now? And we want to continue um, with those trends that we have been doing. But at the same time, uh, as we've grown as a company, so we, we've, we've got all these different integrations now that have occurred within the products and the solutions that we have. However, so you know what happens though, Ron, at some point, um, it gets to be complicated. And, and now where is the ease of use and the ease of functionality because you've thrown so many things into that pot of soup. So that's one of the things that is a, is a constant um, uh, realign, realigning that we do with ourselves is that we don't wanna make this so complicated that, does, that it isn't easy to use um, and easy to administer and easy to understand, because that's still one of the critical things. And I think it's one of the problems this industry has had over the course of the technology development is they've made things too hard. They've made it difficult. I, when you add all these different components and capabilities in, um, it's made it very complicated. And the amount of training that people have had to do, I, they're going away for a week to two weeks at a time to do this end user training. And that's ludicrous. Why have we made it so difficult? So, so now something has gotten out of context and, and out of focus. So, so ease of use is absolutely the user experience has got to be centralized with everything that we do. Now, well, beyond that, I'm sorry, I was going to say, and beyond that, it's you know what other things are on the advent. What other what other um, problems are the end users coming to us with that they're asking us to help them solve? And sometimes there are there are pieces that we can go out and look for, or sometimes there are actually things that we actually, we need to create. And I just had this conversation with a fortune uh, 500 company uh, just, uh, just last week. And he said, it'll be really important for you as a company to be able to meet what I currently have today, but I need your input to help actually create and, and innovate for me to do things that I'm not even aware of. 
what are those things? And, and it was it was a philosophical question. He was looking looking for an answer right then and there. But as he moves towards uh, moves towards this idea, this notion that they're going to move um, from their current platform to us, um, they want us to be a partner in helping them to develop uh, technologies and meeting the needs within their organization. Well, you stole it right out of my mouth. Uh, one of the things you have the opportunity to do, especially if you not only keep it simple for the end user, but more importantly, keep it simple for your development team is to do what many of the cloud-based providers in the consumer and data center field do today, and that's rapid application development. If you're released and unbound from a physical security architecture on premise, if you're released from that and you can, up, uh, you can uh, innovate, upgrade, release new products that have been tested against your own OS in, on your data center and your endpoints and so forth, you can actually rapidly in, uh, help rapidly innovate based on the customer's uh, needs and unique new processes that they're discovering. Uh, I'm anticipating to see you be uh, back to differentiation. The cloud-based providers of intelligence security platforms should be able to go to market more quickly with those new innovations. Is that true or not? That's absolutely true. I, because one of the things that we wanted to do in the beginning is take some of the, the concerns off the plate as quickly as possible, which some of those were about the comfort level within cloud. And, and understandably so, by the way, 10 years ago, think about what we're doing right here, Ron. There weren't a whole lot of tools developed for us to be able to live through this pandemic and to have these, these meetings that we're having all the time now via web tools, right? I mean, you're, you're a couple thousand miles away or more than that, actually, you're, you know, 4,000 miles away, yet we're able to have this coherent conversation and discussion. And you know, th so that's all because of the cloud. So one of the concerns they all had were, uh, one of those concerns was, um, okay, what happens with the backups? What happens with the redundancy, the failover? And we said, that's done. We took care of it, okay? And we show them how that's all done. And that, that takes one, major concern off the plate. So you take those things that they're used to always having to be involved with. And now all of a sudden those fears go away and they start to now think about, okay, well, what can we really do now? Um, and now start, instead of thinking backwards, now they're thinking forward um, and they're thinking how they can work with their security integration company. Um, how about if you take over things at five o'clock when we leave the office and you're now, you're now managing our facility? Oh, that can be done. Wow. You know, that's a worthwhile paid service to be able to, to administer to somebody else. Um, and, and those are the things now we get to have conversations about um, that, that we couldn't do with the way we did things before in the past. Wow. That's just incredible. Well, um, I'm going to ask you to do something. It's really a thumb in the air. So anyone listening to this, don't hold, hold Paul, Paul accountable for what he's about to say, but I'm going to make you do the impossible. I'm going to make you, look out five years from now from an industry perspective, not a Phoenix perspective. And tell me what are, you know, right now I've been, we've been kind of talking about the in-between and the forces and pressures on, a, on, on the security executive uh, to change their procurement model, their admin model and their business model. So we've been talking about that five years from now, are we gonna be talking about that or are we gonna be talking about something else? So one of the things I have been uh, 
I've already gone on record with uh, some publications about saying this, but I'm thoroughly convinced. And again, this is going to be very difficult for this physical security industry industry to adapt to this quickly enough. But I think in five years, you will not see a server-based deployment going out into a new facility. It's just not going to happen. There won't be a reason or a need to do that because it'll be fully capable to be to be done in the cloud environment, which means that the manufacturing world will have to catch up very, very quickly. Um, whether they do or they don't, I, I, you know, is up to them. But from the end user perspective, there will be no reason to ever deploy anything in five years in a server-based environment. Today, there's still there's a few applications, um, but not many. But I, it won't happen in five years. When you talk about from a procurement side, I think you know this this movement from from a capex to an opex is almost becoming second nature. I think just about every organization has has adopted it, and they've they've come to realization that even their their infrastructure from email perspective, from their banking, from their ERPs, from uh, HR perspective, it's already moved to cloud. So that now they know they're in that opex. Um, they're just going to roll that out everywhere else. So that will be the only way to do business in the course of time outside of physically building a brick and mortar uh, facility. So those are my two you know, major predictions I think that uh, I foresee coming. Well, this has been a great, great conversation with uh, Paul uh, DePazel, uh, the EVP, Executive Vice President of Phoenix, uh, Great to catch up with you, Paul. I always love your thinking. And uh, we will meet again over the years and track the progress to your vision of uh, what is going to happen in five years. But you've been a scholar and gentleman. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Ron. This has been a great conversation.